Welcome to A Cup of Java with Dr. Nava. And today I am so excited to have Ariella Azaraf here. Ariella is a psychotherapist who practices on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. She specializes in anxiety and depression with young adults. Ariella feels passionate about empowering people to begin the healing process of emerging into the best version of themselves. So today we're going to discuss thinking traps with Ariella. I'm so happy to have you join us today, Ariella. Uh, she's sitting here in Chicago, uh, but again, typically on the Upper East Side. Um, so just to start us off, Ariella, can you tell us what exactly do we mean by thinking traps? What what it, What is meant by that term? Yes. First of all, thank you for having me. Dr. Cup of Java, Dr. Nava is like just the perfect name for your podcast. I just have to say Nava because it's like <laughs> anyone that knows Nava, if you're tuning in, you know that she's the most engaging, easiest person to talk to. And I just kind of, I hope you're all sitting there with your cups of coffee and you feel like you're with us here. Um, so thank you for having me. Um, so the a lot of a lot of times when I try to explain psychological terms or ideas, I use analogies. And the way that I like to kind of dive into thinking traps is by, do you remember the old school Nintendo game? I know I'm dating myself, but Mario Kart, right? Where yeah. he would have to jump over the loopholes, right? I guess he had like three lives and he would have to jump over the 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 loop in the in the mountain or in the whatever it was and you had to jump over it and a mm -hmm. lot of times I like to explain thinking traps as that kind of dip in the in the road that we kind of sink into that gets in the way of our functioning and thinking traps is really you know there's so so many um, but just to name a few I think one that we fall into often, I think COVID kind of changed the name of the game for this for most of us is catastrophizing, right? We take something so, so small and we make it so much bigger than it is. It's the worst, right? Labeling, I'm always going to feel like this or I'm stupid or it's always going to feel this way, yeah. right? Overgeneralizing, kind of we're, we're kind of telling ourselves it's going to be like this forever. We're going to fail because we failed once and it kind of leads us into this road of anxiety and depression, right? When we kind of get stuck into it's kind of like a Snapchat filter, you know, like a filter yeah. that it's the lens in which you view your situation or the world. So so thinking traps are the are the parts of our psyche that we kind of dip into naturally as humans, but it's it's what really gets in the way and and really kind of causes this spiral, this downward spiral to our mental health. Okay, so catastrophizing, overgeneralizing, labeling, all these different types of things um, that we can kind of get stuck into. Um, how do people get out of these thinking traps? How do we emerge from these thinking traps and not catastrophize or not overgeneralize? Um, what are what are some kind of tools to, to prevent this from happening? Yes, I think that's the biggest part of podcasts. It's like we could talk about all these psychological ideas for people on skills, right? Okay, Ariela. So nice. Yes, I identify with that. I struggle with that. But like now what? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so what's interesting is is I am trained as a CBT therapist, right? Cognitive behavior therapy, which is really explained in a nutshell as a triangle of how our thoughts connect to how we feel and how we feel connect to how we behave. And it really starts with it's this, it's this mode of thinking that it, it's really about where do we get stuck and how do our thoughts get us stuck as to how we how are we feeling and how are we feeling interprets to how we behave. So if number one thing to understand is that from a cognitive place is to understand that overthinking or thinking traps is habitual. 
It's really, really a habit and habits can be changed by gently noticing. So what I have my clients do, some of my clients that struggle with anxiety, have them wear kind of like a rubber band on their wrist. And when they feel that they're overthinking, they kind of snap it. And that kind of gets them out of it. I have other clients that they kind of create this kind of like symbol to themselves of like kind of snapping or kind of going like this. I'm like, mm, I'm doing that thing again where I'm overthinking. You know, a lot of a lot of what I'm seeing is going on. Most I work with teens and a lot of young adults and adults. And I think a lot of what's happening now is there's a lot of catastrophizing. I think when you're in between jobs or you've been let go or even with dating sometimes in the space of unknown, you can create that narrative, right? That's where anxiety, anxiety rides in the unknown, right? We are, you know, you, you work in, you know, you in Hollywood and you help, you know, now with different play scripts, we can become the like best producer in our minds of a movie that's never going to come to theater. That's what I always say. And what you want to do to get out of it is you want to almost create like a, a, a symbol with yourself of like, okay, I'm doing, I know you guys can't see me, but if it's a thumbs up or if it's an A-OK or if it's a snap, you want to like kind of catch yourself, I'm doing that thing again. And then you want to really get yourself out of it by, I say two things. There's a lot of different ways, but I know we're kind of in a nutshell here is refocus and relabel, right? So there's like four R's of how you work through, I think it was Dr. Schwartz wrote the book brain lock right about ocd and two of the r's that i like to use in my work with anxiety is to refocus is to say okay you've had you had this awareness that you're going down that path you've kind of stepped in kind of think of the mario analogy you've stepped into that loophole and you want to refocus your attention so once you've noticed that you're doing it you want to refocus you want to go on a walk you want to call a friend you want to find a podcast you get out of your physical environment and then you relabel okay hold on let me take a step back Right. So I just got off a session just now with a client who had a, had a was, was rejected from a job. She's job interviewing and she went into this catastrophizing space. Of, I'm never going to get a job. It's never going to work out. Um, it's always going to be like this. And she told me she actually left her apartment. She went out for a walk in the park. Got to love New York City. Right. And then she relabeled, OK, this job didn't work out. Right. So when you're able to regulate and you're able to walk away from the intensity, the emotional mind, you can kind of level out. And, and kind of think in a more rational space and tap into your wise mind of, okay, it's just this job. It's not, it's just this job didn't work out. I love that, Ariella. Um, I love so much of what you just said, but um, to kind of catch yourself in the moment and say, what am I doing right now? Um, this is not helping me to obsess over this thing right now. How do I, A, recognize that I'm doing that? And B, how do I get out of it? How do I get out of looking at, you know, the loss of a job um, and instead of catastrophizing and assume I'll never get another job, say, okay, this job didn't work out, but, you know, future jobs might. So I, I love what you're saying uh, to A, be able to label when you start to do that, give yourself, uh, you know, a symbol, whether it's the, you know, picking up the rubber band or, um, you know, giving some a, a thumbs up or whatever it is, just so you know that you're doing it and then switching your course so you don't start to catastrophize. That seems really, um, really great. Um, I think when we view it as a habit, that's the most important piece, that it's, it's not our identity, it's not our narrative, it's a habit. Yeah. We are able and capable and in control of breaking up. And we know how difficult it is to get past a habit, but but having that knowledge is so powerful that we can get yes. out of this. We don't have to get yes. stuck in this. Um, how do uh, people know when they might be about to spiral? How do people have a sense about that? 
I love that question. I love that question because I was just going to say that so much of my training was in CBT and then COVID hit, right? And we all moved through all, all of our own stuff and I became very engaged in somatic work. <clears throat> so in a nutshell, somatic work is that mind-body connection. Vander, Bessel van der Kolk, who's a trauma expert, says that your body keeps the score, right? Your body holds the score. He did a lot of work in trauma, but the way that he treated the trauma was really kind of healing from the inside out. And I, I truly believe this to be true because sometimes we're in such a fast-paced world and so many people are so reactive in a sense. And when we take a step back, we connect to what's showing up in our body. That could be our first indicator that something's not right. Right. So if you're tuning in and let's say you're single and you're sitting on a date and something the person does across from you, he or she just doesn't sit right. Right. You might feel your heart beating fast. You might feel this like oh, this gut wrenching, like punch in the stomach. Right. Or perhaps you're sitting on an interview and the interviewer, something isn't sitting right with them or they've said something that it starts to show up in your body. Your hands are feeling a little sweaty. You're getting a little bit of a headache. Right. Something isn't sitting right. That is your gut. That is your intuition creeping up to say, oh, something isn't working here. Yep. So I think sometimes, I'm curious what you think, because I am. I think sometimes when we get into this thinking trap or we go down these slopes, we have to catch ourselves with starting to think, am I getting a migraine, right? Am I being, and I, and I think sometimes you have to feel, you know, a lot of times with adult clients also, a lot of people are anxious attached, which in a nutshell, I know I'm using these words, you personalize everything, right? They become very anxious in your attachment to people. This person ignored me. She hates me. Maybe she just didn't see you, right? He didn't write back. He doesn't like me. Well, maybe he's just busy, right? So I think that you want to look at two parts. One is where you feel it in your body and mm -hmm. using that as kind of like a guide as to, okay, hold on, you're doing that thing again. And two, I think a big piece is we can sometimes see it in our behavior when we become reactive to something or maybe when our behavior is disproportionate to the situation. Mm. You know, my work, Dr. Nav and I worked together this past year in a school, <laughs> right? And I think especially with middle schoolers, gosh, take sixth grade girls, right? <laughs> You've got your work cut out for you there. <laughs> Sometimes they come to you with a situation, right? And then all the responses, so often I'd make two bubbles. And that when the, when the reaction wasn't proportionate to the situation, it's not aligned. Right. So we have to kind of look at, OK, where was there space where you interpreted that in a way that wasn't exactly what happened? That's wow. That's great. Um, it's great to be able to use the body to give you a sense of how you might be feeling internally and mentally when we don't always have such easy access to how we're feeling. We might not recognize immediately that we're anxious or frustrated or disappointed, but using those cues in the body to help guide us is so important. And I know, for instance, when you're happy, your whole body um, you know, kind of lights up when you're sad, you're the top, you know, you feel pressure points in different parts of your body when you show different emotions. So to be thoughtful about where kind of how your body is reacting to situations will really help you, as you said, Ariella, um, psychologically understand what might be going on. Um, and as you said, um, how to respond in a proportionate way, when to recognize when you're responding in a disproportionate way and how to respond in a more aligned way with the actual thing that occurred. Um, that sounds uh, really important. Um, what advice would you give to parents who struggle with regulating themselves before they might respond to their children's difficult behavior. We know that children can show 
all sorts of behavior, often very disproportionate behavior um, to what actually occurs. So how do you prep parents uh, to really know how to respond with some level of emotional regulation when they need to address these behaviors in children? Yeah, it's a very good question. You know, I'm just reflecting back in, in the beginning of COVID, I gave a, a workshop that then was kind of a few people had asked me to give, you know, when you give, you have like one kind of presentation, then you kind of use it in different ways, because I think that's what was, was very, it was very um, helpful to parents of taking your emotional temperature, right? We are kind of in this zone of we're all suddenly at home, your kids are out of school, you're working from home, right? I said, parents are all of a sudden our chefs, tutors, teachers, and like employees or business owners. And I think that if anything, COVID has really taught parents the importance of taking your own emotional temperature. So what I mean by that is I think that it's important to be very self-reflective. I think that it's very important for parents to know their triggers, to yep. know their and their boiling point, right? And I'm talking to a powerhouse mama of five. <laughs> to know your to know your boiling point, to know when mom needs a minute. And to really honor that time, because, you know, when we talk about mindfulness, I know it's become like a very trendy word, but mindfulness is really a practice of not judging yourself in that moment, allowing things to be just as it is, allowing yourself to feel just as you are. And I think sometimes what happens for a lot of parents is they become self-judgmental, like, why am I losing my cool, right? Why am I so upset? Why am I so done, right? Like I need, I should have, we fall into this trap of I should have. I always say the should train took off and no one's on it, right? Like no one needs that word should. You just are. So I think a part of it is not judging yourself in the moment of when you need breaks and, and tapping into when you need a moment, right? And whether you have a, a partner, right? Your husband, your wife, who you could say, you know what? Can you take over? I need a little bit of a break. Healthy communication with your spouse is everything. Of being able to be very honest with, I need a break and that's okay. So you're honoring yourself in that moment. That's kind of a sense of self-care, right? Of I am listening to myself and honoring when I need that time. And, you know, I, I say a big part of it for parents also is that you're you're really modeling. And we'll talk a little bit about for, for kids, how to self-regulate. You're modeling for them. Mommy needs a minute, right? I'm feeling really frustrated. I just had that with parents, right? The kids wanted to make breakfast. It was a mess and they were teenagers and they didn't clean up. And the mom was about to lose it. And instead, she stood there very transparently and she said, this is really upsetting. I was yeah. really hoping you guys would clean up after, after yourselves. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a break. I love that, Ariella, because I think it's so important for parents to be authentic. And just as you said, to model for their kids when they need a moment, when something might be frustrating for them. So if they're able to model that in a, in a, in a good and important way, then kids who are going through that same kind of emotional regulation issue at the time uh, will know how to respond. We'll have a toolkit of how to best respond when they're in that situation. Um, so I think those breaks are really important. A, knowing you need the break and B, taking it when you need it, having someone you can hand the reins over to in that moment, or just very you know authentically saying, I need a minute and coming back to the situation. Um, I think making kids wait a little bit um, sometimes is also okay when they, you know, instead of getting what they want at that very minute, giving them a little bit of time to know that we can't always get exactly what we want at every single moment. Um, and that brings us to the question about children. So what, what advice would you give children who are struggling to self-regulate? 
<laughs> this is a big one, um, right, Ariella? <laughs> yeah, no, this is a this is a good one. This is a good one because I think that when when parents take notice that it starts with us, right? It starts with how we slow the process down. We also have to give space, and then I'll get to the kids piece. But we have to give space for mistakes to be directional. So sometimes your biggest learning lesson is when you mess up. Truly, yeah. it leaves space to be human. When you overreact or when you respond in a way that it's kind of like, wait, that just got the best of me. I don't want to do that again. That's directional. Okay, great. So how can you avoid that next time? Um, I think that I think that the important piece with children is, I'm also going to use that word self-reflective, that we want to really build awareness. Now, obviously we're saying children vaguely, right? There's a difference between very, very young, you know, or infant to, I don't know, seven, and then kind of more the, the pre-teens, teens. Yeah. But I think what, what's important, and I'll speak a little bit more just to kind of like the, the pre-teens, teens, because that's kind of my area. I think it's, and I think for little kids too, but it's important to increase their awareness of when they're about to dysregulate, right? Because when parents are reactive or punitive in a way, uh, why did you do that? You're not supposed to do that. That, that attaches shame. Right, it adds to shame when somebody, when a child is impulsive or struggling. We want to be very curious. We want to stay curious as to, well, why do you think you did that, right? Or if they're having a hard time regulating, it's giving them space, really, a, a kind of like a, a sense of collaborating with them, allowing yourself to say, "Help me understand what just happened, right? What's going on in your mind? How did you, how did you interpret that?" So when you give them space, truly as parents, to, to, to help your child be self-reflective, you're really giving them the tools to work their way out of it. Now, a way to work yourself out of it, first of all, for, for children, there's a lot of different DBT, dialectical behavior um, therapy, is basically it focuses on dialectics, words, and it's a high focus on distress tolerance skills. So it's allowing yourself to teach yourself and your children, how do I handle distress? So there's so many different, I can think of a few to share with us, but number one is for children. I really think it's connecting to their breath. Hold on, let's take a beat. You know, the kids in school would be like, Ariella, I don't want to breathe. I'd say, okay, let's just humor me. Let's try it together. So I'd always have them start their feet on the floor, their back against the back of the chair, hands on their laps, close their eyes for a quick minute. And it's the three, three, three. So deep inhale through your nose on for three seconds, hold for three, exhale for three. And you do that two times until kind of the, your brain and your thoughts slow down. Then when your brain slows down, you can really make better choices. But the number one way to regulate is that you want the thoughts to slow down because it starts with our thoughts. And when we're impulsive and when we're kind of just being reactive, we're not giving ourselves the space to just take a beat. Wow, I love that so much. So whether it's it's breathing, it's letting kids be self-reflective, it's not putting them immediately on the defensive, but really asking them what might be going on. Uh, such great ways to help kids emotionally regulate, not only in that moment, but also in future situations as well. So I, I know, Ariella, you have so many clients who are waiting for your wisdom and your insights and your just incredible warm nature. Um, and I know you have to get back to all of that. I am so grateful for you being here today um, and for, as, as I said, this incredible, astute wisdom um, and, um, and insights and uh, just thanking you so much and can't wait to see you real soon. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in today. 
you may want to check out the brand new popular Bashert card game at www.thebashert.com to forge meaningful connections with others during this time. You may also want to check out the Real Abilities Omnibus comic book collection for your kids on bookbaby.com or amazon.com. It will keep them busy while teaching them about kindness, empathy, and about the beauty of difference. Wishing you all an incredible and meaningful day.